are you, church? I said, how are you? <laughs> come on, Frank. <laughs> Track with me here, Frank. Come on, come on, buddy. <laughs> Do you love that song? Don't you love the truth of that song that uh, what Paul wrote in the scriptures uh, thousands of years ago is true for us today that, no, we are more than conquerors through him who has what loved us. Through him who has loved us. I, I want to talk to you this morning about power. And uh, it's a message that has been percolating in my spirit for a, a few weeks now. And uh, as, as always goes, when that happens, oftentimes by the time it's ready to be preached, they, you realize you have a series on your hands and not a message. And so what you are going to hear this morning is sort of like a preview of coming attractions. Pastor Ryan and I are working on a, a series of messages based on, on what I'm going to say this morning. And uh, you'll hear that series of messages after Easter uh, as we come out of out of Lent and Easter and celebrating the resurrection. Pastor Ryan and I will be bringing this series of messages uh, called A Game of Thrones. I've never watched A Game of Thrones, but it makes a catchy title for a sermon series. So I, I pilfered it and uh, am using it. Are you ready? Ready? A quarter, a quarter century ago, the rock band Aerosmith released Livin' on the Edge. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you had that uh, or have a t-shirt, Aerosmith t-shirt or anything. But uh, anyway, the lyrics went something like this, Livin' on the Edge. They didn't go something like this. They went like this. There's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. <clears throat> something wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way, and God knows it ain't his. It sure ain't no surprise. We're living on the edge. Hmm. The song quickly rose on the charts. Seemed to strike a chord with many, many people. Yeah, I feel that. There is something wrong with the world today. So I look back, just out of curiosity, I look back, 1993, our son was born in 1993, so I would say that that was what was right with the world. But I look back to 1993, and I wasn't even a Christian at this time. So I parked that over there somewhere in your mind. But 1993, the World Trade Center bombing occurred. Remember that? Waco, Texas, and David Koresh. What a boondoggle. What a mess. Bill Clinton was sworn in as President of the United States. And here's what I think was wrong with the world in 1993. Beverly Hills 90210 aired. <laughs> right. Cheryl and I managed an Arby's at the time. And uh, there was a girl that, that worked for us, Christy Rock was her name, and uh, came from a, a Mormon family, and, and uh, 
she had to have Monday nights off, sun, Sundays, all day Sunday, and Monday nights off because Beverly Hills 90210. And her father thought that Beverly Hills 90210 taught good moral precepts that he thought the whole family should watch. So that was an interesting thing. But Beverly Hills 90210. And like I said, that, that song by Aerosmith has been, has been bouncing around in my head for a few weeks. And uh, I want you to consider these realities these headlines. Just this week, Texas police fined four, four malnourished children, two of them locked in a dog crate, arrested the parents. Wow. Had a chain around the refrigerator, kept it locked too so the kids couldn't get in. A man was arrested charged with uh, the murder of Valerie Rice, a woman whose body was found stuffed inside a suitcase in Connecticut, brutally murdered and then stuffed inside a suitcase and tossed beside the road. Members of the New York Senate conference celebrate the Reproductive Health Act that legalizes abortion up to birth. This was probably the catalyst for this message, but uh, um, for many, any reason, legalizes abortion up to birth for any reason in Albany, New York, and then they stood and cheered on the Senate floor. Last Sunday, last weekend, the Eastern Chronicle, maybe you haven't heard this yet, maybe you have, Last Sunday, the Houston Chronicle broke a story on the investigation of 700, listen, over 700 cases of child sexual abuse in a large evangelical denomination. There's something wrong with the world today. Steven Tyler says, I don't know what it is. I think I do. I think I do. Thousands of years ago, in a place that seems so far removed from us, the epic battle began. Listen. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, ah, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he really say that? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Sermon number one in the series is probably who you're going to trust. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she, she also gave some of, 
to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and then the eyes of both of them were opened and knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Maybe the second message will be fig leaf in it, how we pretend and try to cover up all of our stuff so that nobody knows what's really wrong with us. That'll be a good sermon. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Maybe uh, another sermon God already knows, and he's ready to extend mercy. Why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she, she, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Maybe the last sermon in the series will be the blame game. Blame everybody but myself. I don't know. A Game of Thrones. John Piper wrote, listen to this. John Piper wrote, the modern secular world, that's the world outside the church, you know, the church is divided, secular and religious, and secular is outside of the religious circle. He said, John Piper wrote, the modern secular world, the world which tries to remove God from his all-creating, all-sustaining, all-defining, all-governing place, has no choice but to make itself God and to create its own morality. In other words... When people abandon God, the next highest court of appeal, Eric, is man himself. Does that make sense? I mean, if you you abandon God, to take it a step further, if God is not the absolute standard of what is true and right, what is excellent and praiseworthy, noble or good, then guess who is? You and I. And thus, when you and I inevitably disagree, because we will, when you and I inevitably disagree, the only solution to the problem is this. Might makes right. Right? Think about that. If God is not the standard, if he's been dethroned, and we've elevated ourselves to the throne, and Nancy, you and I disagree, who decides what's right? I was a bouncer in a bar. I know I answered that question. 
right? The one with the power. The one with the power. It's this will to power. Consequence of the fall. Consequence of dethroning God that I would argue this morning and submit to you for your consideration is the ultimate root of what is wrong in the world today. We may be fooled into thinking the arguments in Washington are about about immigration or about economic policy disagreements, but the real battle is about who's got the power, who's in control, who decides, right? You see, a seismic shift takes place when God is abandoned. It's huge. I don't think we, we fully understand what, what that means for all of us, but a, a seismic shift takes place. You see, the search is no longer for objective truth. The search is no longer to discover what is true. The search and what's left is a power struggle. Who decides? Who gets to decide what is real, what is precious, what is true? Hmm. That's the struggle before us. Since there's no appeal to heaven, the weakest. The weakest are expendable. The weakest have no voice. The weakest have no place. <laughs> History bears witness to this gruesome detail, this gruesome fact, right? I mean, Hitler, Stalin. In Rwanda, it was... It's going on in Haiti right now. Who's got the power? Who's going to control? Who's going to decide? Sudan, abortion. You know, you know, the only difference between fetal homicide laws and abortion is who has the power to decide who dies, right? It's the will of the mom that decides or the will of the man who is abusing the mom and saying, about power. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. You see, but it's not just, it's not just violence physical violence toward one another that was a result of power. It's the way we use our words 
right? I, 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 I'm just going to be real with you for just a minute. Most of the conflict that happens in a church is not about what's right or wrong. It's about who gets to decide. And, and, and watch this. You have to see this, church. You have to understand this because, because power and the struggle for power is sin, and sin is predictable and progressive. It only goes one way. It only leads us further and further into ourselves and what, what I want and what I desire. And so all conflict starts this way. We disagree. Right? We just have a difference of opinion. I like the Bears and Ryan likes the Colts. It's a difference of opinion. Right? I like this. They like that. It's only you and me, and we just disagree, right? But then, watch, then it becomes, I must win. Not only are they, do we disagree, but I must win this argument. I must prove myself right. I must show them how wrong they are. And in the midst of that, I've got to show others how wrong they are. Isn't that right, Harold? It's so true. And then watch what happens. What happens next is you, you, you can see it coming. You know it's coming. It's no longer about I must be right. It becomes and it escalates to I must destroy them. Oh, it's quiet in here. You see, what's so bad about the knowledge of good and evil? See, God said, don't eat of it. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. What's, 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 what's so wrong about that? When you want to know what's good and evil, well, let me help you. When, when, when God gave that command to Adam and Eve, first people, the context, the meaning was... Don't divorce yourself from me. To have the knowledge of good and evil means independent, self-determining, deciding for myself what is good, what is right. Thank you very much, God. I can handle this on my own. And it's good for God to have that. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. He, 
He's perfect righteousness, truth all the way through. He is ultimate beauty. It's ultimate goodness. It's, it's good for him to have that, but not us to wield on our own and decide for ourselves independent of God. I, I, hope, I hope this is making perfect sense to you, and I hope you're not getting tired of it because this is, this is the question of the day. What's wrong with the world today? Me. And my little fiefdom. My little kingdom that I want to preserve and protect and promote. It's me. Modern culture insists that we should let children be themselves. It's a quote from Tim Keller. Modern culture insists that we should let children be themselves, but what feels most natural to us might be disastrous. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is, come on, Bible scholars, death. Who said that? Yes. You see, the choice to embrace self-determining autonomy is the genesis of death, and the killing has never stopped. I'm about to give you some hope. Okay? In 2 Kings, chapter 2, 19 through 22, a few verses there. You don't need to turn unless you want to. Let me tell you the story. Elisha, Elijah. Elijah's been in a whirlwind. He's been taken up to God. Elisha has taken up the mantle and has asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit, and, and now Elisha's the man on the scene. And Elisha comes to the city of Jericho, the ancient city of Jericho. And the elders come out to him and they say, they say, wow. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a nice place to live. Kind of a cool little town, there's good schools. My paraphrase. Doesn't say that in Second Kings, but they say it's a nice place to live. Except for one thing. This spring of water over here is bad. It's toxic. It's killing us. You know, just like bad water does to children in Africa or other places. And Elisha throws some salt, heals the water, and everything's good. Around Amer America the last few years, there have been numerous cases where 
um, civil authorities have discovered that the, the, the public water system is uh, contaminated, bad, it's toxic. It's That's a great metaphor for what's going on in culture, what's going on in the world, because uh, ever since Genesis 3, the world is drinking from a toxic fountain, a fountain of death, and only Jesus offers the alternative. He said so. When he, when he met the Samaritan woman at the, at the well, he, we know that story. We repeat that story. We preach that story. We talk about it all the time. Living water, living water. If you knew who was offering you water, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you water that will never, ever, ever leave you thirsty again. It's a, it's a spiritual reality wrapped in a, in a, in a picture that, that we can easily grasp. Who is going to give me that water, sir? Give me that water, and God has given us that water through his son, Jesus Christ, who has died on the cross of Calvary, bearing our sins to the cross, scorning its shame, and leading us forever in the way of righteousness if we will but just trust him and listen to him and follow him. <laughs> Whoo! Only Jesus offers the alternative to what's going on in our world today. Only Jesus has the words of eternal life. And you know that song we sang earlier? We sing it and we love it. We are more than conquerors with Christ. We are more than conquerors through him. That is the perfect antidote for all conflict that happens, listen to me, in the church. Because if I am already a conqueror through him who gives me, if I am already a conqueror through Christ and nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, if I am already a conqueror, I don't need to conquer you. I don't need to impose my will upon you. I don't need to go around making you look small in order to make myself look big. Right place, church? Get our heads around this. So we live, we live in such a day of outrage. Everybody's offended by everything. To many, this either leads us, Ed Stetzer says this, to many, it, this either leads us to raise the volume in our own anger. You hear it, the will to power. You feel it? Or to retreat and shrink back in fear. But we are more than conquerors, church. So I have three prescriptions, and I'll be quick, because you're going to hear them again. 
in about April. Three prescriptions. Rant less and weep more. Write that down. Rant less, weep more. I'm weary these days of the rants about millennials. I'm guilty of myself sometimes. I try to get back on Facebook because I want to keep up with what's going on and faith family, but I can't stay on Facebook because about a day on Facebook and I'm, I'm unfriending, I'm unfollowing, I'm, and all my friends are church people. Listen to me, church. I could be right, but at the top of my lungs, I am wrong every time. Being louder, shouting down, does not give me authority. We follow the one who was led like a lamb to the slaughter, yet never opened his mouth. Quit posting those things on Facebook. Just quit it. Stop it. Scolding and lecturing, Scott Saul says this, scolding and lecturing and winning arguments does not win the world. It does not. does not. It puts people in their place. But I'm not interested in putting them in their place. I'm interested in leading them to the King of Kings who alone will lead them to the Father. What if instead, when I'm tempted, if I would just crawl into my prayer closet and weep over my own sin, and weep over my city. It's, a, it's an amazing thing, isn't it, church? To consider that the one who thundered at Sinai wept over Jerusalem. Wow. Jesus, oh, I wanna be like him. I wanna be like him. Humble and gentle in spirit, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Whose grief? Yours and mine. I don't need to fight my battles. He fights them for me. Retreat less, engage more. He just told us to keep our mouths quiet. That's, listen. Retreat less, engage more. I have a little, I should have brought it out here with me, but it's a, it's a little uh, jar of clay. I got it in Qumran 
when I traveled to Israel some years ago. And inside is a little scroll because uh, at Qumran was made one of the greatest discoveries of all time, you know, biblical archaeological discoveries. They discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, largest collection of ancient manuscripts of the scriptures, many of them complete. I keep that on my shelf to remind me of that time. But the Essenes were an interesting people. They were an interesting sect of Judaism. Their, their, their ethos was retreat, sequester ourselves, cloister up, get away from that mean old ugly world out there, keep ourselves pure, ritual baths, ritual everything. I said, if we stay away from that world out there, Jesus will come, the Messiah will come quicker. read some interesting things recently, listened to some interesting people that make the assertion that perhaps John the Baptist was an Essene. John the Baptist at some point figured out, well, how am I going to preach the gospel to that world out there if I never go to that world out there? You see, Jesus tells us to be salt and be the salt of the earth. But, but salt cannot affect change in food until it touches the food. And, and salt cannot exert its preserving influence until it actually, now I love bacon and I'm glad for salt. And I'm glad I don't have to eat fresh side. I can have bacon, but it never preserves the meat until it touches the meat. And salt never heals until it touches what needs healing. I, I would suggest today that some of what is happening on our watch is the result of the apathy of sequestered Christians sitting around waiting for Jesus to return instead of taking the kingdom of God that has come and already broken into our world and shattering strongholds now, sitting around waiting for Jesus to come instead of doing what Jesus said, go. Make it a better place. Listen, church, there's no reason that the world has to be going to hell in a handbasket when Jesus returns. Revival can be breaking out right here in the middle of Terre Haute as the church of God gets busy. Eat less, pray more. You've heard me say this before. Eat less, pray more. Mark chapter 9, Jesus casts out a demon. 
Disciples come to him and say, why couldn't we cast that out? Why couldn't we do that, Jesus? We had the right incantation. We said the right words. We did all the right things. Why didn't it come out? Jesus said, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. John, James, Peter, they're all there. Only by prayer and fasting. Biblical author James. Tradition tells us that he had a peculiar nickname. Peculiar nickname. Anybody got a guess? He can wave at me. Camel knees. They called him camel knees. Because his, his knees were so worn like the knees of a camel, leather like a catcher's mitt from being on him in prayer. So what would it be, church, in this day of outrage? Two hundred people from Faith Wesleyan Church would just purpose in their hearts. I'm going to rant less. I'm going to weep more. I'm going to retreat less, and I'm going to engage more. You see, here, that's probably the hardest challenge I have. I promise I'll wrap this up in just a minute, but. The longer I serve as a pastor in a church, the fewer non-Christians I know. You ask yourself the same question. Who do I hang around with? Who do I spend all my time with? Where am I at? The circle shrinks. I've got to work at that. What would happen if I would eat less and pray more. As I thought about this message and prayed about this message and how, how I would wrap this up and bring this all together, that was it. But uh, what is our response to that? Because a message... It ends here unless we embrace, accept, and respond and say, yeah, I received that word today. And I need to do something in response to that. So I'm going to ask Tammy, I just want some music playing. And I'm not going to wait long. But how did the Spirit speak to you today? For some of us, it was that part about conflict, right? That's true. That's me. I'm, I'm too far along on that continuum with somebody in the church, and I need to go make it right. 
some of us, it was, wow. Wow, God, slay that, that will to power in me. Because it's destroying things at my house, my home. I've got to win every argument, God. Maybe it's just the whole idea of, wow. Jesus, if I don't go. If I don't get to know my neighbor whom I whine and complain about all the time. If I don't do that, they're, they're going to perish, Jesus. So help me. I don't know. I don't know. Bow your heads. Eyes closed, head bowed. I'm, I'm just going to ask you. Who, who? And then I'm going to ask you to move. Who is the Lord dealing with today? And I'm just going to ask you. Come. As a sign of obedience, as a mark of consecration, as a display of glad submission to the will of God in your life, come to the altar and allow the Holy Spirit to finish what He started in your life today. Father, here we are, your people, and I, I know. I know, God, that your spirit has been brooding. It's been working, it's been drawing. These at the altar have responded. You know, just like you knew with Adam, just like you knew with Eve, that you're working on other hearts today. And you're working in our midst. And so, Father, I would pray that uh, even as we draw this service to a close, that. Uh, your spirit would continue to pester us. Maybe even torment us a little bit. For our good and for your glory. And Jesus, I'm, I'm still, 
I marvel at this, I marvel at this, I marvel at this. That you, you died to reconcile us to the Father. To heal that relationship. The wounded, (laughs) the one who was offended, died for the offenders. Oh, Jesus, slay in my spirit, please. Slay in my heart that, that indignation that arises when I, when I think I have been the one that has been wounded and offended and other people need to reconcile with me. Make me an instrument, an ambassador, a messenger, the gospel of reconciliation. Please. Please. Now, Father, dismiss us with your favor and blessing. Make us salt. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.